Welcome back to The Common Christian Diet. I'm Paige, and I want to give a shout out to Debbie Forrest for her song called Born Bad. This is episode number 12, which is titled, I'm Not Hungry for Water. I mentioned in the last episode that I had certain foods that I would overindulge in, like peanut butter or Diet Coke. And one of the side effects of overindulging in something is that it can become a habit. And habits, when we practice them over and over again, will affect our choices going forward. They can actually lead us in a wrong direction, but it will feel normal because it is what we are used to. I was so addicted to Diet Coke at one point in my life that I would get out of bed in the morning and head straight to the refrigerator. Yes, I was thirsty, and yes, I was craving a soda, but this was a self-inflicted craving that wasn't satisfying my real thirst. Our bodies are designed to let us know when we are hungry and thirsty. And this is such a basic natural instinct that we are born with it and we put it to use right away on day one as a human. But the funny thing is that as we get older, we can start making mistakes about what our bodies are trying to tell us. Now this obviously doesn't happen to everyone, but some of us have forgotten what physical hunger feels like. We eat so frequently that we don't experience true hunger pains. We say to ourselves, hey, I'm hungry, But in reality, the reason we want to eat might be because something smells good or just because it's lunchtime. The truth is that we have trained ourselves to interpret many things as hunger that can occur even if our body doesn't yet need food. We can eat out of habit. We can eat based on emotional cravings. And we can even think we are hungry when we are simply thirsty. Imagine how many calories many of us could save if we drank a large glass of water before opening the bag of chips. I used to pride myself on the fact that I would eat every two to three hours. This was how I ate when I was at my peak fitness levels. Three small meals a day with healthy snacks in between. And it became a habit. A habit that still affects my choices today. And because I have eaten this way for most of my adult life, I had forgotten what real hunger feels like. I ate my meals based on the clock on the wall and a chart that told me how many grams of protein or carbs I needed that day. I used to think I got hungry every couple hours, but in reality, I had just programmed my brain to tell me it was time to eat again. My hunger at that time was simply a desire for the food I was already planning to eat. But a few years ago, I began the discipline of fasting and I rediscovered what real hunger feels like. There are many varieties of fasting and I have tried several of them, but fasting by just not eating is particularly difficult for me. I have programmed myself mentally, emotionally, and physically over the past two decades to eat every two to three hours. So when God first challenged me to begin fasting, I honestly didn't know if I could go without food. I started by just not eating between the hours of 7 a.m. and 3 p.m., which basically meant I ate some oatmeal for an early breakfast and then had a late lunch. But hey, it was a start. And even with a simple fasting plan, I was surprised to learn what real hunger feels like. I found that hours before I experienced physical hunger, I would have a desire to eat. But the desire was more of a craving or an expectation. I wanted to eat because it was time to eat and because it was normal for me to eat, but I was not yet physically hungry. As I waited and denied myself food, I eventually felt my stomach start to rumble and my energy levels drop. As I learned to fast even longer and spend the majority of the day without any calories, I finally recognized true physical hunger and what it's supposed to feel like. It's funny to me how many times in my life I've told people 
oh, I'm so hungry, or cried, I'm starving, when a more accurate statement might have been, I would like to eat now. For decades, my desire to eat was triggered by pretty much everything except physical hunger. I wanted to eat when I was stressed. I wanted to eat when other people were eating or because I was in a certain social environment where food was involved. I ate based on the clock on the wall, when something smelled good, or just because a certain food was calling my name. Hunger is a natural instinct I was born with, but my habits had overridden my instinct to tell me my body needed food, even if it wasn't true. It took the discipline of fasting before I rediscovered what true physical hunger is supposed to feel like. In today's world, I am trying to reprogram myself to eat only when I am actually hungry. But please don't ask me how well that's going. Rediscovering hunger made me wonder how many other sensations in my body were mislabeled or had been overridden with habits. What other emotions or feelings was I getting wrong? What other areas of my brain were reprogrammed like the dog that learned to salivate when he heard the bell? And the answer, sadly, is quite a few. Humans are mind, body, and spirit, and I was literally mixing up cues on all three. One example comes from a time when I did a lot of driving back and forth on a road called NASA Road 1. And if that sounds like a strange name, this road has the main entrance for NASA's Johnson Space Center, which is just a few miles from my house. If you're familiar with the line, Houston, we have a problem, well, this is the place. So NASA Road 1 is a busy road with multiple lanes in each direction and constant traffic. Also, NASA Road 1 is a favorite place for road cyclists. Sometimes it's a lone cyclist, and other times it looks like a training ground for the Tour de France. But whether it was one or a dozen, I always found myself angry as I drove past them. Why do they have to ride here? Why do they have to ride during rush hour traffic? Why can't they just stick to streets that have bike lanes all the way through? Or, or better yet, they should just ditch the street bike and get a mountain bike and get off the road altogether. At some point, I had to ask myself why I was so angry. These are just strangers, probably perfectly nice people out getting their heart rate up in the fresh air. I don't get mad when people are running on the sidewalks. I love that these people are healthy and treating their bodies well. And cyclists don't seem to bother me on any other roads. What was making me so mad? And one day, I figured it out. I realized I actually wasn't angry at all. Traffic is often so heavy on NASA Road 1 that it's difficult to move over in your lane to create a buffer zone between your car and the cyclist. And the road is curvy, so sometimes you don't even see the cyclist until you come around a curve and find them in your lane. More than once, I have watched cars make sudden swerves to avoid hitting someone, and I've had to make some evasive moves myself. The emotion I was experiencing wasn't anger. It was fear because I was worried about their safety. Once I recognized the real emotion hiding behind my snarky internal remarks, I was able to respond much more appropriately. Instead of just wishing they would go ride on a different street, I began praying for their safety. And surprisingly, once I did that a time or two, I never felt anger towards them again. Misplaced emotions are surprisingly common, but they are much easier to recognize in other people than in ourselves. Emotions feel so real that when we experience them, we generally don't question their authenticity. But when we watch other people driven by emotions, it's easier to recognize when their feelings and the circumstances are slightly out of alignment. 
We understand that toddlers may throw an all-out temper tantrum when they need a nap. We know teenagers may think they are in love every time their hormones fluctuate. We can see the disappointment in our friend who didn't get the promotion even though they repeat over and over again that it's for the best. We know all too well that some people try to hide pain with partying or cover up feelings of loneliness with hard work and success. The list goes on, but the point is that emotions can be easy to mislabel, misinterpret, and misunderstand, especially in ourselves. We all have powerful emotions that impact our choices, so if we misinterpret the real emotion, we will probably make some bad decisions. And for me, it gets worse. Not only have I misunderstood my own basic emotional and physical needs, but there's a whole nother side to me I had completely ignored because I didn't even know it existed. My spiritual side had been starving my entire life, and I didn't recognize any of the signs of spiritual hunger. I've said many times before that I always believed in God, but I really didn't know anything about Jesus. For many years, I was a Christian who didn't know Christ. I always thought I was going to go to heaven when I die, but I'm not really sure what I thought was going to happen. I guess I followed the Hollywood logic that I would float out of my body and somehow end up at a pearly gate. And if I did enough good things in my life and didn't do too many bad things, then St. Peter would let me in. But all that was before I read my Bible and came to know Christ. And while I still can't explain exactly what will happen as I leave my physical body behind when I die, I have learned quite a few things about my spiritual side. God is spirit, and I have been made in his image. My spirit is not my emotions or my thoughts. It's a separate part of me that is focused on eternal things. My spiritual side is hungry for the things of God and can only be fed with things like prayer, reading God's word, and focusing on God himself. My spiritual needs were left completely unmet for many years. I was attending church on Sundays and saying prayers at night, but I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. My time in church and prayers were more of an obligation, so when I went to the Hollywood heaven, St. Peter would let me in. I did not have a proper understanding of who God is or who I am as his child. In the Bible, there is a verse from 1 Corinthians 2.14 that says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For decades, I was not able to understand spiritual things. My spiritual side was starving, but I didn't understand the signs of hunger. I was born with an instinctual craving for God, but as I misinterpreted the cues, I tried to satisfy the hunger with other things. Spiritual hunger can be described in a lot of ways. It's a longing, a void, a desire that we can't seem to fill. When we don't realize that this void can only be filled with God himself, we try to fill it up with a variety of worldly things. Things like fancy cars, success, adrenaline, relationships, shopping, alcohol, and so on. I personally tried to satisfy my longing with success and relationships. Not only could those things not satisfy the real hunger, but they have peaks that temporarily filled the void followed by valleys that left me disoriented and completely empty. Why am I feeling this way? Why aren't I happier? When will I ever be good enough? I started my quest for success at a pretty young age. I wanted to be the best at everything I did, and to be honest, if I wasn't good at something right away, I just refused to do it. 
I was not okay being bad at something. I remember trying to twirl a hula hoop around my waist as a young girl, and since I couldn't master it in the first few minutes, I just dropped it in the front yard and found something else to do. And I've had similar experiences with things like the Rubik's Cube and pretty much any musical instrument I've ever tried. But with things I was naturally good at, I worked hard to be the best. In high school, I was voted most likely to succeed, and I graduated magna cum laude with an engineering degree. And I know it wasn't my parents pushing me to succeed because I distinctly remember them telling me and my brother all the time, just do your best and we'll be proud of you. You don't have to get all A's. The heck I don't, I used to think, and I would keep striving to be the best. My craving for success had lots of different flavors. First it was grades, then college, then career. And after I started working as an engineer, I found other ways to strive for success like kickboxing, bodybuilding, and running marathons. I had lots of peak moments where I was basking in what I had accomplished. And then, when the thrill of the moment wore off, I would collect my thoughts and set a new goal. I have lots of happy memories from this time period, but it never satisfied the longing. It was like I was trying to earn the right to be happy, and it was always a fleeting feeling. The other way I tried to satisfy my spiritual hunger was through relationships. I had this strong desire to be married, and I always thought, once I'm married, then I'll be satisfied. I hated being single, and even in college, I was constantly seeking to be in a relationship. Truth be told, my drive to have a boyfriend was so dominant that I remember dating guys that I didn't even really like. Part of me was happy to be in a relationship, even if the other part of me wondered what I saw in this guy. Over the years, this developed into a habit of bad relationships and lots of poor decision-making. When it came to relationships, I was needy, and I knew I was needy, but I never understood what I was really hungry for. Feeling like I needed to be in a relationship explains why I found it so difficult being single for seven years after my divorce. Lots of people are single and perfectly happy, but in my mind, marriage was the answer to my loneliness problem, and once I got remarried, the empty feeling would go away. And of course, it did go away for a while. I remarried in 2013, and I was able to ride that new love feeling for about three and a half years. I felt happy, I wasn't lonely, and I thought my problems were solved. But the need for Jesus came back into light when my marriage started to crumble. My biblical counselor was the first person to open my eyes to my spiritual hunger. I began meeting with her in 2017 when things started going terribly wrong at home. I needed someone to talk to about all these feelings I had and my fear and my pain and my worry. I couldn't believe how fast the amazing season of love and happiness turned into grief and despair. I opened up to her each week, and to my surprise, she never seemed all that interested in talking about my marriage or my husband. My biblical counselor listened well and understood my situation, but her main focus was always on me. She saw in me what I couldn't see. She could tell that I was starving, and she knew the only thing that would satisfy my craving was Jesus. In our very first session, she quoted scripture from Jeremiah that explained how God's people had forsaken him. God is the living water, but his people had hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that could hold no water. Now at the time, this analogy didn't make much sense to me for two reasons. First, because I didn't know what a cistern was. And second, because I was there to talk about what was wrong in my marriage and not what was wrong with the Hebrews a couple thousand years ago. But she was very patient with me. 
Over the following weeks and months, she continued to emphasize God as my living water. She taught me to seek God as my source of satisfaction because nothing else can fill that part of me. She introduced me to my spiritual hunger and explained that if my spiritual needs were not met, it would affect me in all the other areas of my life. Eventually, the scripture made sense. I was trying to quench my thirst with success and marriage, but I was never going to be able to solve a spiritual problem with natural solutions. My spiritual side needed a real relationship with Jesus. I needed to seek Him first above all other things. I needed to understand the true signs of hunger and learn what it means to be spiritually full. My counselor led me to fill myself with studying His Word, spending time with Him throughout each day, and learning who God is. She taught me how to study scripture rather than just read it. She taught me the attributes of God to help me better understand him. And she showed me that Jesus really is the answer to every problem I face. When I am spiritually full, I can be satisfied whether married or single, rich or poor, successful or barely keeping it together. In six months of counseling, we never did solve any of my marriage issues, but she did fix my relationship problem with Jesus. She taught me to lean on Him and trust Him in every situation. And she taught me what it looks like when I'm thirsty for God and how to drink in His Word. I didn't need success. I didn't need to earn God's love. And I didn't have to be married to be satisfied. I already had everything I needed in Jesus. But even as I was learning these things, I still went home each week to a broken marriage. I was being filled with Jesus, but I still wanted to keep my husband. In one of our sessions, I was crying out to her about my husband. He had just informed me that he was looking for apartments and that he was planning to leave me. I was crying and very upset, and in my emotional state, I must have forgotten pretty much everything she had taught me. But I snapped out of it quickly when she said to me, So what if your husband leaves you? You will still have Jesus. That might sound harsh to anyone who wasn't sitting in the room with us, but I am eternally grateful for that sentence. She was not being unkind. She was stating a truth. Those words became the foundation that I learned to stand on. I didn't know in the weeks and months ahead if I would have a husband, but I could stand firm in the fact that I would always have Jesus. He was with me and would never leave me. I didn't need to earn his love, and being successful didn't make him love me anymore. I would never be alone, married or single. I was going to be okay, no matter what happened. Understanding my spiritual hunger was an important step in my personal healing. Before the counseling, I thought I understood my needs. If I could just be more successful. If I could just get the house a little cleaner. If I could just make more money, take another vacation, or get my husband to love me again, then I'll feel better. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. But I was misinterpreting all the signs of hunger. I am mind, body, and spirit, and I lived for a long time with this empty feeling in my spirit that I could never fill. I had a broken cistern that I was trying to fill with accomplishments and relationships, which gave me temporary relief but the emptiness would just keep coming back. Once I finally understood that my spiritual needs could only be filled with the love of Christ, I learned how to fill myself with Jesus. I began to nurture my relationship with Jesus as my top priority, above my marriage, above my success, and even above my motherhood. 
It was strange to me at first that making Jesus my number one priority would actually have a positive impact on the other areas of my life, but that's exactly why God created us with a desire that can only be filled by Him. As I satisfied my spiritual hunger, I became less needy in other areas. I was no longer trying to earn love, and my drive for success was tamed quite a bit. I still loved my husband and wanted to be married, but I stopped clinging to my marriage as a source of happiness. I wanted to make it work. I was willing to make it work. I was praying for it to work. But if not, I finally knew in my heart that I would be okay. And that seemed to be a turning point in our marriage, which has been fully restored, and that new love feeling is back in both of us. Being spiritually full prepares me for anything I need to face physically and emotionally. I enjoy eating, but I am able to fast and go without food. I can eat my favorite foods like peanut butter and not overindulge. I can get angry and still pray for the person who insulted me. I can enjoy success without needing to get attention for it. I can do a good job at something without a perfectionistic attitude. And I can love my family without placing the weight of my happiness on their shoulders. I love Jesus, and it's His love and my relationship with Him that makes all my other relationships better. Jesus is the answer to every problem I face, and when I seek Him, He always gives me exactly what I need. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Paige, and this is The Common Christian Diet. Every day another world, it gets